0: Thank you all for coming. Uh, The message today that John Weathersby is giving is going to be out of Genesis chapter 32. It will be the entirety of the chapter. Uh, I will be reading the chapter from verses 1 through verse 32. This is the word of the Lord. Now Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Then Jacob said, when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place... Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord, to Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and have been delayed until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female slaves, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, "'We came to your brother, to Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him.' Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps. And he said, "'If Esau comes to the one camp and strikes it, then the camp which remains will escape.' And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Yahweh, who said to me, return to your land and to your kin, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the truth which you have shown to your slave, for with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Lest he come and strike me down with the mothers and the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your seed as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there. Then he took from what he had had with him a present from his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And he gave them into the hand of his servants, every flock by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on before me, and put a space between flocks. And he commanded the first one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, and to whom do these animals in front of you belong, then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord, to Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the flock, saying, After the manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease his face with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will lift up my face. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in camp. And he arose the same night and took his two wives and his two servant women and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him until breaking of dawn. And he saw that he had not prevailed against him, so he touched the socket of his thigh, and so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose up, rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: among my few talents as a father of five is being able to ask someone a question and peer deeply into the core of their existence and know if they're the one who did it. Um, and so I was just able to do that with Pastor John Nicholas to find out who put this particular invitation in my Bible. Thank you for that reading. Always great to sit under the word of the Lord. Um, enjoyed our, our Sunday school Class this morning, our adult Sunday school class this morning, as it's another opportunity to sit under the Word of the Lord and have it be so highly regarded. Like all, all of our, all of our questions with answers that we would trust our, our lives to are are found in the Word, and we, we can, we can go to it and and trust it. And where we don't find the answer in the Word, we can pray. And where we don't find the answer and pray, we trust God. We trust God's will in our lives and we see that a little bit in the book of Genesis this morning. Um, It's, I think, a great blessing from God to have encouraged us in this word and by tracing this line through the patriarchs, which he so clearly allowed us to see all the faults and flaws and failures of each of these patriarchs. Because it could be so easy for us to lift them up and pedestal them and say, Oh, they're so great. That's why God chose them. But continually we are reminded He chose them because He chose them, not because they're great. And their lives tend to bear that fruit out. And so it's a blessing. Maybe you've heard God can strike a straight stroke by any crooked stick, attributed to Thomas Watson, or maybe attributed to Luther. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Or maybe attributed to Ignatius, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Or maybe the Spanish proverb, God writes straight with crooked lines. This concept flows through God's choosing of the patriarchs and drawing a straight line to Israel, drawing a straight line to Christ through faulty, flawed, sinning and sinful people and that encourages me because I'm no more or no less than they Um, we're reminded in the Psalms 103 verses 14 through 16 that we're but dust and so It is encouraging to me to be reminded that I'm but dust. So it can be so easy to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And maybe you've been in church for a while. Maybe you've been a believer for a while. Maybe you haven't. And you think, oh, I know I'm not more, I don't think of myself too highly. It sneaks up on us, really. It sneaks up on us very quickly. We forget to have short accounts with sin in our own lives. Maybe we step away from reading in the Word. Maybe we step away from lives of prayer and devotion to God. We step away from Christ as Lord. As we talked about this morning, he's not my best buddy. He's my Lord and my Savior. He's the one that I should should desire to direct my steps and my decisions and my next choices. He's the one that when I have a a question, I should go to him in prayer. so easy to go to people around us that we think are smart and ask them, well, what do you think? Unless they answer with, well, let's pray together or let's look at the word. Perhaps that's not the best advice. We talked about the book of Job last week and his friends and the advice that they gave about hidden sin in his life. And then when you read the book of Job, you realize it had nothing to do with that. It was all about counsel between God and the enemy who said, Job just does what you say because you you smather him in blessings. And so in our passage today, we're going to see that Jacob, despite his many inadequacies, is who God chooses to usher the nation of Israel into the world. And we see God drawing a straight line through the crooked sticks of men, and it encourages me because I remember I am but dust. That God can can use me in spite of myself, not because of myself. And that, to me, is encouraging, and I hope it is to you. I think sometimes we feel that our performance is why God keeps us. Most of us would say that we know... That we're in sin and we need Christ as Savior, but then perhaps we present a picture of then we, we hold that salvation by pleasing God in the way that we act. We become a, a moral agent for God and we must hold our salvation and there is nothing but death in that concept. That will kill you, it will rob your joy, it will eat you up, and it takes glory from God in spite of being wrong. And so we'll see God draw a straight line through the crooked stick that is his chosen this morning. I think starting in, in Genesis chapter 31 in the last verse helps us with this transition. I'm not so concerned with where the chapter begins or ends, but I think it's helpful to start in verse 55 of chapter 31, which reads Early in the morning, Laban arose. And he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and he blessed him, blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. Verse 32, chapter 32, verse one. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, "This is God's camp." So he is transitioning away from this time. With Laban, which must feel great. I mean, getting away from Laban and knowing that that is final must feel like the most wonderful thing. Uh, if you've been here with us and seen the trickery of Laban, I almost wonder when I hear the ways that Jacob is preparing to go see his brother are somehow informed by the last two decades of being with his father-in-law who always had something up his sleeve. Hide the animals with the with the kids at a three-day journey away so that he doesn't get what's due to him, give him the wrong daughter, and then require more years of work before you can allow the marriage. Maybe he's kind of become accustomed to someone always trying to get one over on him. And we'll see a little bit of why Jacob fears Esau this morning as so we'll take a look back. But I think taking Genesis chapter 31 and verse 55, together with 32 verses 1 and 2, we have a nice transition from a narrative that really has been squarely about Jacob and Laban and the purposes of God being accomplished in spite of Laban's every effort. We see God accomplish his purposes, and now we have a transition into a story that will become about Jacob and his brother, esau so we're picking up from where we've previously been in this epic story of god's providence that's what all of this is about this is about the providence of god the plan of god which will not be thwarted and that should be a great encouragement to us sometimes we feel like the pressures that are on us and around us and in the world around us are leaning in so heavily we can start to twitch and we forget that christ said If my people were of this world, they would fight, but we're not. What's what's our offensive weapon when we look in Ephesians? It's the word. God does not rely on us to write all of the things that people think that are wrong around us. He just requires us to be a faithful witness. We don't have to fix it. We just have to be willing to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. We have to be workmen approved, not ashamed, by knowing our word and dividing them rightly. Chapter 31, and verse 3. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. This has got to be in the back of his head. I think he requires so much encouragement to go back to his brother that knowing... God is required. This is why he comes to Laban, right? In in, in Genesis chapter 31, we see the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so what does God do to encourage him further? In verse 32, the angels of God meet him. The angels of God meet him. Turns from Laban, turns to where he is to go, and there is God's camp great encouragement, great encouragement. God promised that he would be with him. Jacob recognizes this and still is fearful of returning to his homeland. And I totally understand that. Um, you know, he, he, he left things in shambles. It's been a long time. Maybe you've had, in your own family, maybe you've had schisms Maybe you've had pressures. Maybe you have siblings that won't talk to each other. Maybe you have parents who aren't talking to certain children. Family strife is difficult because it's very personal, right? Family strife is difficult because it's very, very personal. And they're in the midst of a very personal issue, but he's been told by God, chosen by God, and sent by God, to go to his homeland, see his brother. He's rattled by this thought. He is completely rattled by this thought, but God encourages him to stay the course. Verse 3 And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, instructing them Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have ox and donkeys and flocks and male servants and female servants, and I have sent to them to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. We won't get to see the meetup between Jacob and Esau today, but he will find favor because God is with him. And only because God is with him. God is about building this nation and these people who will bring proclamation about himself to the world. This is, this is why we exist today. This is why we know who God is today. Because this plan came all the way through. And in spite of impossible circumstance, this plan comes to be. So many times across the scriptures, we're led to a point where certainly there's no way out, or certainly there's no way forward, certainly there's no way through. But God intervenes and makes possible a way. And we should be encouraged because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's not like a man, he cannot lie. And it's not like he's restrained from lying. Like he's like, gosh, I wish I didn't have these attributes and I could just tell a quick fib. It's that his character is so perfect, it would never. And so when he encourages Jacob, go back to the homeland, I'll be with you, he will be with him. And we would do well to know the promises of God and the word as well. We would do well to know these promises. There are many promises in the word that apply to us today. There's, there's whole books written about the promises of God. I would commend you to read on that simply because, if nothing else, it will point you to the word. In Jacob, we see fulfillment of so much, but if we were to flip, flip left, flip back to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27 reads like this. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. What a. What, what a notion. It's, it's almost as if his life is set up in a way to to frustrate people or set up in a way that there's this Assurance. And so we're here by God's will, through Abraham, chosen by God. By Isaac, through Isaac, chosen by God. Now Jacob, chosen by God. And in verse 3, he sends messengers to announce to Esau that he is on his way. Now I think that's very polite. I appreciate that when someone's on the way to my house and they let me know in advance, they give me a call, you know, hey, I'm showing up with an entire town's worth of people and I'll be at your house shortly. Uh, I've got livestock, people, tents, there's babies everywhere. My multiplicity of wives are coming with me. Let me slow you down if you, if you hit me up with that on a phone call. The plurality of my marriage is coming to see you. But that's what he does. He sends a messenger, likely not about being polite, though, likely about gauging the temperature, if you will. Let's see how I'm going to be received by my old brother with whom I've got some history. Maybe some of you have a rub with your own brother. Maybe some of you deserve that rub from your brother. But he sends messengers ahead to announce that he's on the way. And he's about to come with a heck of a lot of possessions, as we're going to see in a bit. Verse 6, the messengers return to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. Oh, great news. And there's about 400 men with him. Ah, That might not be such great news if you feel like you left things the way you did. That feels more like a posse than a greeting party. Um, Maybe maybe it feels a little bit like this is about to lead to violence. I feel like you don't show up with, with 400 of your folks unless you're preparing for something. And I think Jacob feels the same way. He's nerve-wracked. But he must still have some encouragement. As soon as he makes the turn away from Laban, he sees that God is with him. God has called him to do this thing. But maybe he's thinking in the back of his mind, what if God has called me to be a martyr? And then he's got to remember, the offspring are going to be So overwhelming that you won't be able to count them like the stars in the sky. And so these these promises of God maybe are rolling around in his head, but the pressure of the situation is weighing on him. I know that my brother is, A, very frustrated with me, and B, has every right to be, or at least I think I know that. And now he's coming to greet me with hundreds of people, This is a test of faith, certainly. Maybe not to this scale, but perhaps you've been in a situation where your your faith is tested like this, where you feel like you just so clearly understand what it is that God would have you do. Not private revelation, right? Not that God came to you in a dream. You don't have a way of dividing whether that was last night's pizza or revelation from God. We have everything that we need in the Word Everything that we need for life, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So when I see the will of God in Scripture, I feel like I understand that as applied to my situation. And circumstances around me feel like they're pressuring. If I have a wrong view of God, that pressure can make me feel like, well, maybe God's not in this. But we should relax and do well to see that God... Is sovereign and in complete control and our desire is for obedience. That should be so relaxing. Our desire isn't necessarily for outcomes. Our desire is to be obedient and so in in our marriages um, sometimes in, in in marriage counseling not pre-marriage counseling because that's like the best counseling. Everyone's excited. Everybody loves everybody. Everybody's willing to get along for the rest of their lives forever. There will never be a problem and then There's post-marital counseling, when issues come up, when you realize that you're married to somebody who is intensely bristly, who needs a lot of coffee before they can even pretend to be friendly, perhaps. And there's pressure, and you're tried. And you say, well, I've done what the word tells me, and she or he is not changing. See, that's where the issue is. The word doesn't tell you to do something so that the other person will conform and be nicer to you. The word tells you to do something because you should do it. And the other person may not change. That's why I say we, we work for obedience, not outcomes. I'm not obedient because I think I'm going to get what I want. I'm obedient because Christ is Lord. Because I am a slave to my Lord. He says this and I do that. I hope, (laughs) I hope. And so Jacob's faith, in a sense, is being tested. It's at least being tried. It's at least being stretched here. He knows from chapter 31 he's called to come back to this land. He knows he's encountered the angels right when he's turned away from Laban. He knows that God has provided so much for him. There's no reason why he should have all of these possessions. There's literally no reason why he should have all these wives. There's no reason why he should have all of these possessions, all of this livestock, all of these things. He shouldn't have, even, he shouldn't have all of these things. He knows that it's God. He knows that God is in it. And so he's got these two camps, if you will pressuring on him, following the word of God in spite of feeling like he's walking into an attack. Now, there are lasting principles about what we see in the way that he walks through this trial. And maybe for you, maybe you are early in your walk. Maybe you are a young Christian. Be ready to have your faith built through trials through testing and through temptation and don't allow those things to dismay you right the, the word tells us that this is we we become like the refiner's fire i love the picture of the refiner's fire because i i especially around this time of year you know i, I always have this picture of like a like a cauldron with a with boiling and bubbling going on in there but the boiling and bubbling is molten metal And the impurities, as they boil, as metal is brought to such a high temperature that it liquefies, bubbles up impurities to the top, and they're they're scraped off of the top and thrown away, allowed to cool, and reheated again. This is the way the Christian life is described. To reveal impurities in us. Not because the impurities might be there and we might pass the test, but to help us reveal those impurities. So be ready to have your faith built through trials and through temptation and through testing and heat and pressure and know that your faith grows through this. Maybe you're in the middle of something like that. and You're like, hey, guy, I don't feel my faith growing. That's because it, it grows as God sees you through and you look back on your Christian life and you say, oh, I've seen God bring me through this kind of thing or you get to come alongside a brother and sister who is in a similar situation and share about God's goodness and grace through that season in your own life and be an encouragement to them as they come along. We're here to encourage one another in a world that tests and tries and pressures us constantly because we know as believers we'll be pressed on every side heavily but not broken. Because we have this wonderful truth, this wonderful treasure that is God in Christ. Verse 7, we continue to see this testing, this trial in Jacob. Verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. It was both of those things. He was terrified greatly and distressed. So he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Is this wise? I don't know. Is this scar tissue from living with Laban for a long time, maybe? Preparing for the trickery, preparing for the attack? Perhaps. But let's think back to their history, his, his and his brother's history, to understand where he is a little bit more. Let's look to Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 39. A lot of local flipping around in Genesis, so hopefully no one sprains a, sprains a knuckle today. We do have insurance for that. We have an insurance rider for sprained finger appendages for Bible flipping. So flip easy. Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 39. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his neck from your yoke. Verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise and flee to Laban my brother in Haran. I understand the stress and the pressure of now coming to greet this brother. I understand the stress and the pressure of knowing that he's coming with hundreds of men. But God is calling him to do it. This is a matter of obedience. This is a matter of trust. This is a matter of faith. And by stepping out in this, in faith, Speaking from his perspective, if he survives, it will grow his faith and trust in God even more. It would have to. He knows his brother had a blood. He comforts himself by planning to kill you. This is an odd way to comfort yourself, I think. I hope. I hope it strikes each of you as odd. Verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and your kindred, that I may do good. Pause. He's praying. He's now driven to prayer. He's split the camps in two. He knows his brother's coming. He suspects, based on some of their past history, that his brother's not coming excitedly to greet him, perhaps, with his hundreds of friends. And he prays. And he kind of prays in this way of kind of, well, let's, let's, let's keep going in the prayer. Verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan. Now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This prayer is claiming for a lack of worthiness. This is the kind of prayer of a a broken man at the end who's really looking back and saying, I am so vulnerable and so weak. And without God, I have so little, I have nothing. And frankly, it's a very healthy remembrance. It's a very healthy mindset. And for whatever reason... So frequently to have this kind of mindset, to be remembered who we are, to be, to be mindful that our frame is weak. We need to come to places like this, low points in our own life, so that we can look and see the treasure and the worth and the mercy of God. Maybe you've been brought there before, maybe you haven't, but this is what his prayer sounds like to me. I'm not worthy of the least of the deeds of steadfast love and the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. The deeds of love that God had bestowed on him, maybe maybe they felt heavy for how wonderful they were. He knows his own self, he knows his own frame. I wonder for us, do we remember To know that God's mercy is so great that it, it dwarfs anything about us. It makes nothing about our merit. God's grace is so wonderful in spite of who we are that He finds us, that He violates our will, that He turns us to Him is such a great, wonderful truth and such a great mercy. None seeks after God, no, not one. That's a math problem. It is God who finds us disobedient and sinful and quickens our heart to respond to a wonderful gospel message that says, You are in sin. you're separated from me you're you everything about you all of your faculties are drawn to anything but my holiness anything but my grace and god is so wonderfully mercy full for that so i was Reminds me if you've ever felt the experience, they did this in the 90s, in the 80s, I think this is over now, which is probably good because it was weird, but people would wear ankle weights around, you remember those? Not leg warmers, I mean ankle weights, they velcroed around your ankle. I mean, that awful sound, people would wear them, right? And you, you walk in these things, you wear them all day, you take them off, and you feel like you can jump off of the crust of this earth and float away forever because you had been so weighed down by the weight of these things that when it comes off, it's completely freeing. I think this is how he's feeling in this moment. Though he's so low, he's praying, and in the midst of praying, perhaps God starts to turn his spirit He realizes he's not worthy of the deeds of steadfast love and all of the faithfulness that God has shown to him. And he asks God, please, he begs God, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. Why? He asks him and he begs him because he can. He can make that happen. That's why we pray to God, because he's able We pray to God because he's sovereign. We pray to God because he can affect change. We pray to God for people's salvation because we believe he can save them. Because we believe he's sovereign. And sovereignty is a concept that we struggle with. I think I'd shared the story before. I used to live in um, Arizona and New Mexico, but... One time we were driving onto a native reservation and apparently there was a police helicopter following my friend. And when we parked on the reservation, the helicopter hovered overhead and gave some kind of a command from a, a loudspeaker. And the native police drove up on a golf cart and they said, what are you guys doing today? He said, well, we're just going to go down the Salt River here. And they said, okay, enjoy your day. And they waved the helicopter off. To go away. This is sovereignty. So much more is God sovereign. He needs no permission. He needs no permission to do anything. And so this is why when pressed to the end and to the edge, when he thinks that his brother is coming to pursue him, to kill him, his brother who comforted himself by thoughts of murder, what does he do? He, he does what he thinks is best. He splits the camps. He has to know this is a preposterous plan. And he prays to God and he remembers who God is. Verse 13. So he stayed there that night and from what he had with him he took a present for his brother Esau 200 female goats and 20 male goats 200 ewes and 20 rams 30 milking camels And their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. And these he handed over to his servants. Everyone drove by itself and said to his servants, "'Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove.' And he instructed the first, "'When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, "'To whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you?' "'Then you shall say, "'They belong to your servant Jacob.'" They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he's behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed in droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face and perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself Stayed that night in the camp. One thing that strikes me here is just the vastness of all that Jacob has. This is someone who acquired these resources by God's blessing. God bestowed all this upon him. You remember, uh, he, he had a had a, a vision from God. And and communicated to um, Laban how he was supposed to receive these animals that had spots and stripes. And Laban then hid the animals away from the camp that all fit that description so that he would get nothing. And then God came to him and said, okay, here's what you're going to do. And it's this preposterous plan of carving sticks and putting them in the drinking water and and doing all these things. Because God is sovereign in all that he does. And all of this must still be so encouraging in his mind, but we see hundreds of animals changing hands and going out in droves and waves, and he's trying to buy his brother's favor. We've seen God provide for for Jacob and for Isaac and Abraham all their lives in order to accomplish his will. God directs their ways and their lives for the purposes of accomplishing his will. Um, think of encouragement in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. I'll read it quickly. It'll come up on the screen so you can make a note of it and, and read the fuller context later. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And praise God for that, that he is working all things in according to the counsel of his will. I would so much rather that God's will in my life be accomplished than my own will in my life be accomplished. I, I trust him so much more than I trust myself with directing my path, directing my ways, giving purpose to. Whatever it is I lay my hands to. I trust God with those things so much more. And so through all of this, we'll see God leave behind a testimony of himself to pave a way to demonstrating his grace through the God-man Christ who will come and will establish his church, who will Tear the veil that was established in Israel from top to bottom as he bestows his spirit on those of us who believe and enters each believer for the conviction of sin and for sealing in God. This is ultimately where God is going. This is, this is the direction that God is driving through all of life according to his will through people, using people's free will and free willingness God will make his purposes come to pass. This is a great reminder when an anxiousness comes about us around a decision or some direction that we need to take and we we feel unsettled in that. We feel like we don't know which way to go. We feel like we want to follow after God's will and we don't want to go the wrong direction. I so... I so badly, God, I just want to be in your will, and I don't see exactly where to go here, that we go to him in prayer. And maybe you would say, I've been praying, and I still, I still don't know exactly which way to go. God has not revealed to me his will, and so I'm still unsettled. I would ask you this. Do you think that you could violate God's will? Could you, because you're strong enough, would he allow you to violate his will? You say, yeah, but I don't feel, I don't feel perfectly settled. Um, Jacob here is praying to God. Um, he's still splitting his camp into two. He's still sending them out in waves and droves. He's seen angels. God's told him, go here. God said, I will be with you, but he's still doing all of these things. Sometimes we don't feel perfectly settled, but we trust God. Or we should, that's where we should land. I trust God. God, don't let me go in the wrong direction. I trust you that you'll unsettle me with some direction if that's where I need to go. But I'm stepping out in faith that you're with me in this. And if you are not, please stop me. Sometimes that's what we get. Sometimes God doesn't come to us and say, hey, hey, little guy, sit down. Let me just explain to you everything that I'm going to do, okay? Because you're vastly important to the universe. So I'm going to tell you everything that's in my plan and exactly where you fit so that you'll trust me. Sometimes the point is going through the confusion. Sometimes the point is having faith in something that you don't see right now. And that's biblical. In fact, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Because like my personal friend LeVar Burton would say, don't take my word for it, read a book. And so, by his grace, God and his word in the book of Hebrews has provided us this picture of what faith is. What does it look like to sometimes step out in faith when we don't have the whole story, where we don't have the entire picture? Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1, now faith is the assurance of Of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their accommodation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is why we trust that. God created the universe and everything in it. Psalms describe stretching out the heavens like a cloak and spreading them out. The word tells us the order in which God has created all that is. And there's nothing that is that God did not create. We trust that by faith because that's what the word tells us. Romans chapter 4 Verses 16 through 22 picks up on this thread of faith. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace to be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existing the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, trusted God, and he acted in obedience to that trust. Genesis chapter 15 tells us that he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I will admit that I used to be hindered, tripped up, stymied, stumbled, confused over this last part, this wrestling with God. I think I understand it better now. I think I appreciate that it exists. There's so many times in Scripture that you say, I know that this is in the word because it matters, but I'm I'm lost as to why it's here. But this wrestling match, I think I get. Now, several reasons I used to be confused by this that I don't struggle with as much. Um, like, did they just, was there wrestling matches in heaven and God picked the angel who like lost a lot but never got pinned? So the matches just kind of left, they, they just went on forever. And so they sent that guy down Um, Or is is this even about this wrestling match? Maybe this is actually about encouraging the faith of Jacob, allowing this thing to go on, allowing him to participate together with God. I think God is so graceful in letting us participate in his plan sometimes. And so as Jacob is so stymied, right, he's he's splitting his family into camps. He's sending people out in waves. He knows his brother used to comfort himself by thinking about killing him. But he knows the angels are with him. He knows God's promised to be with him. He's now back in this camp by himself. He's been in prayer, the one that we saw recorded. There's probably more prayer going on. He's really stressed out. And so he gets the opportunity to to vent a little bit and put some of this aggression out as they, they wrestle together with the angel who never seems to win but doesn't quite lose. During the middle of this scene, He reveals in in verse 28, the angel reveals, your your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've strived with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob wants to know his name, and he's like, why do you want to know my name? I just changed your name to Israel. We just struggled all night. Um, I came to you in the middle of this thing. You want to know what my name is? He then realizes Verse 30, that he's seen God face to face and his life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him and then he's limping because of his hip. This used to get me too, like what? He touches his hip so that he'll limp after this long wrestling match? Now imagine this. um, I take probably what would be considered criminal or terrifying volumes of melatonin to get bad rest, okay? Along with that comes The most strangely wonderful dreams, they're weird. Uh, I dreamed that Justin was having the audition to sing, and he kept yelling at me to sing louder. Um, I dreamed about Texas Shop just the other day. How easy would it be to wrestle with an angel all night and step back and go, wait, that didn't happen. I was praying, I got tired, I fell asleep, I had a dream. But no, he's going to limp away from this knowing that he struggled with God all night and that the blessings that were put on him, that his name change was so important that it's all to remind him that the angels were in the camp, that God has promised to be with him, that God has said in chapter 31, you'll go back to your homeland to be able to face his brother who's coming with hundreds of people that he's terrified are all against him and he's gonna limp his way there knowing that God is with him. What a great encouragement. What a blessing of God to grow Jacob's faith. And I think we would do well in our lives to look for opportunities where God might be growing our faith. Where where we can step outside of trusting ourselves. Say, God, I I might not understand it. I might not see exactly what you're doing. But by faith, I'm going to trust it. And I'm going to step out and I'm going to do the thing that I think is right. I'm just trusting you with it. I don't know what the outcome's gonna be. You haven't interrupted your day to come explain to me your entire sovereign plan, but I will trust that you are in control. And that's so much more important to me than knowing the end of the story. I'll trust you in it, and I'll trust that my faith will grow in it. And so he walks away with a limp to know that this this happened. This was real. This wasn't melatonin dreams. This is actual life And so he's encouraged by that. In addition to knowing that the angels surround him, in addition to knowing that God has called him to do it, in addition to knowing that he's no longer Jacob, but he's Israel, and that God is going to work and draw a straight line out of the crooked sticks of men. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you allow us to see your grace and your mercy In the midst of such tumultuous trial, God, a a man who perhaps deserves to have the murderous rage of his brother pointed squarely at him, who is now going to go greet his brother and who is terrified by the outcomes, learning to trust you. God, would you encourage our own faith and learning to trust you in our circumstances that probably won't be, this protracted. God, I pray that you use this story to encourage our faith and we thank you that you allow us to see it, that you allow us to see the near impossibility of your will playing out through these people and these circumstances so that we could know that you are sovereign, God, that those whom you've called are secure in your grasp and that you're not like a man, that you wouldn't lie, that we're safe, because you love us, because you've called us. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.